Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine. Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. On SAFM. This feature is brought to you by the Solidarity Fund. Unity in action. COVID-19 has had a negative impact on gender-based violence. The Solidarity Fund has identified GBV as one of its focus areas and has partnered with various organizations to assist with medical and psychosocial services, PPE, and access to shelters. To get help, call the National GBV Command Center on 0800-428-428 or visit the National Shelter Movement's website on nsmsa.org.za. Brought to you by the Solidarity Fund. Unity in action. So the Solidarity Fund is committed to the eradication of gender-based violence. And as part of its commitment, we continue these ongoing conversations that you've been hearing here on SAFM every Monday, discussion topics um, that will challenge all of us to find solutions towards ending this gender-based violence. The hashtag for this conversation is Solidarity for GBV. I want to welcome my guest now to the discussion today. Vanita Daniels is a co-executive director of Rise Up Against Gender-Based violence she joins me now on the line thank you so much for making the time to talk to us miss daniels thank you so much for having us <laughs> so talk to me about the organization rise up against gender-based violence what does your organization do um so the organize we, we're quite a fairly small organization at the moment and we um knew we were birthed in 2018 2019 um and Basically, what we do is we focus on prevention of gender-based violence, mm-hmm. focusing on the drivers of GBV. Um, and we, before COVID, we focused specifically on two demographics, one which was women who were living and working on the street because they are particularly vulnerable to gender-based violence. The, the and women and who are living on the? Women who live and work on the street. On the so, street, okay. Yeah. All right. So um, you would you would talk about sex workers, mm-hmm. for instance, um, people who were living permanently on the street and mm-hmm. had no shelter, and then also we were working with adolescents um, around be- social behavioural change programs, mm. and then also so this was all before COVID. Mm. We also played a coordinating role for the Call to Action Collective, which is a collective of of GBV organizations. Mm. And once COVID started, um, bearing in mind that our main demographic was people, women who were living and working on the street, we thought that we weren't going to, you know, we weren't going to need to do anything um, because our Mm. demographic Mm. was going to be, Mm. the government was going to house them. And what happened then was when government announced some of the GBV measures that they were introducing, we realized that there was a complete lack of understanding around gender-based violence, particularly around intimate partner violence, domestic Mm. violence, because we were leaving people trapped in their homes with the abusers Mm. with no way of of, of getting assistance other than a GBV hotline, which they had to call. So can you imagine being trapped in your home and then having to call while the person who was busy abusing you is hearing what you are saying. And so we then started an evacuation service, an emergency evacuation service. And so that was one of the service offerings that we added um, as one of the 
the things that we did as an organization. Well, what does that that look like? That evacuation service. How how would how would it, how would it work? So what would happen was that what happened was that we opened up all social media channels. Mm. We also, you know, put a call out in the call to action collective to say this is what we are doing. And so people would contact us mm-hmm. either because friends or family was was in need mm. or the survivors would contact us directly. Mm. Mm. And so once we've been contacted, we would then discuss with the survivor you know, when would be a good time to come and get them. Mm-hmm. We would obviously ask them, where's the perpetrator? Are there any weapons, mm. you know, on the premises, all of those kind of things. Mm. Because I don't know if you if you remember, but I think it was very early on in Level 5 that there was a, a SAPS police officer that was killed in Santon when they had responded mm. to a domestic violence incident. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we ask all of these questions, and then once, We've identified when and also where. Um, we then activate the South African Police Service. Mm-hmm. They then come with us, where we then physically go to the people's home and we help them pack because statistically the most dangerous part or time for a survivor is when they decide to leave their abuser. Yeah, and so that, yeah. you can't give any signs that you are wanting to leave. Mm. So we would physically arrive at their homes, help them pack under the watchful eye of the steps or the not-so-watchful mm. eye, depending on, <laughs> mm. on which officer we got on the day. Mm. And then we would take them to a safe place. So either they either identified a place that they wanted to go to or we assisted with shelter stay. In the event that the victim actually is not able to even pick up that call and respond to you, what then? We unfortunately can't do anything physically ourselves if we haven't um, spoken to the survivor or the victim. Mm. We would then either activate the police, because Mm. remember, we are going to evacuate you. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so if you are not ready to be evacuated, then there's no need for our service per se. Mm. But we then do referrals in that that case. Mm. Because a lot of times, victims and survivors it takes it's a process. It mm. takes a while for people to to know that, you know, I can leave now. Mm. Mm. Sure. Let's talk about the program that was directed at at young people. I know that you've you've had to adjust things a bit because of COVID. But but what was that program? So what we we were basically working at um, tertiary institutions, mm. and. The conversations that we were having with young people was around healthy relationships, around what gender-based violence is, because a lot of times victims and survivors don't even know Mm. that they had been Mm. sexually assaulted, for instance. That question about consent. Yes. So we talk about consent and we talk about, for instance, we talk about enthusiastic consent. Mm. You know, the absence of a no does not mean yes. And so we have those conversations with with young people. We also talk about what are the steps to take. How do you, you know, what are, what what does the criminal justice system process looks like if mm-hmm. you if you have been a victim or a survivor? And we also talk to would be perpetrators. And so during lockdown, one of the the programs that we initiated was um, Tavern Dialogue, and we did. 27 dialogues um, that was funded by the staff. Um, we did 10 in Gauteng, 
um, in Orange Farm and we did 10 in the Western Cape. And it was done in, in, the, in some of the, the GBV hotspots that the minister had identified. And so that was quite an interesting um, endeavor that we, that we actually did. It was, it, was, it was something else to actually be in the taverns and have discussions with men around uh, patriarchal norms, around mm. consent, around stealthing, around rape, you know, what happens in taverns, what happens when alcohol is involved. You know, it was quite, quite interesting for us. And if you... Uh, I'm listening to you say it was interesting and you are active in this space. I'm so now keen to have been the fly on that wall because if you found it interesting, what what did you find? So the way in which the taverns were conducted was it was just me. Obviously besides us. Yes, we yes. were we, we were a team of our four or five. Yeah. And we had one male facilitator. Other than that it was um, the team consisted of women. Mm. And so what we did was we had conversations with men or we facilitated their conversations mm. around specific <laughs> topics. And, and so the, we didn't, the facilitator we didn't, was women? Yeah, we, 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 we facilitated um, some sessions and then um, so we took them through a process and so we talked about patriarchal yes. norms. Um, and so obviously we didn't use those kind of terms, sure. but we would talk about gender roles, you know, so what mm. do you do as a man? Mm. What do you expect women to do? And then take them through a process of, so what happens when you don't do this? What mm. happens when she does not do that? Mm. And to kind of, you know, link the dots in terms of what underpins our behavior. Why are we violent? Why do you get upset when your wife has not cooked your food because mm. you believe that that's what she was supposed to have done, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And then we do scenarios where we talk about, you know, what stealthing is. Um, about consent, at what point can I say no? Can I say no at any point? When do you accept a no? When don't you? You know, those are the conversations. And the interesting thing for Mm -hmm, me, mm -hmm. this was the thing where I was really shook. And so men were, because there was also alcohol, so Mm -hmm. it loosens the tongue a little bit of the juice (laughs) juice was given. And so... So men, men said things that I was really shocked. That's when the, that's said the part I want to know. That's, that's <laughs> the bit I want to know. What, what is it that you heard? What, what is really being said out there where people don't feel like they, they are being judged? Because I think possibly that was what, what was happening in a safe space yes, for them. It was, it was a safe space for them. They yeah. didn't feel any judgment. We also yeah. made that very clear. Yeah. We also spoke very little mm. as the woman in the, on the team. Mm. But one of the things that became quite clear was, I think as women and, and as society in particular, we have this idea of, you know, locker room talk. Mm, mm, mm. So boys will be boys mm, and, mm-hmm. you know, men will be men and they say all kinds of things. Mm. But the most interesting thing for me was when men would say the most horrendous things in those dialogues in terms of, you know, I bought this woman a drink and of course she needs to give me sex. I'm not taking no for an answer. And then the other men would be so shocked. They would be like, but dude, we don't buy sex with alcohol since when do we? And so it became quite clear to me that the kinds of conversations that men have that we refer to as locker room talk, mm-hmm. it's not the actual real deep conversations that we would want them to have where they actually call each other out. Because the things that men say to their victims and the survivors is not the things that they say to other men. I see. To a large extent. And so the, some of the men were so shocked. They were calling each other rapists. 
they were saying like, no, chief, but you are a rapist. We don't do things like that. So it was very interesting. It was so, amazing, actually. We really need to do more of those. So, so that's interesting because often you, or for a while, there's always been the assumption that there is peer pressure, right? Yeah. And so if, if that myth has been dispelled now, where we are saying not quite, actually, people do call each other out, then... Yeah, they- they do, but I think that a lot of a lot of the underlying misogyny, a lot of the underlying toxic masculinity, those those are the things that is not out in the open. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was quite interesting for me. Of course, I mean, men say or perpetrators would say horrible things, but by and large, a lot of the things that were said, the the men were were shocked. Fellow men so does that kind of does that mean the perpetrator now knows that there is no space for him and his behavior in the society? In other words, we are now dealing with a different dynamic where they know it's not quite so cool. Not everybody's going to embrace you, especially not his peers. So are we having to deal with a different type of space for a perpetrator? No, I think that to a large extent, there's still, there isn't enough societal pressure. There isn't enough mm. um, loss of social capital if you are mm. um, a perpetrator. And then, and because, and we, we, we have to tick boxes when we talk about perpetrators and victims mm. and survivors. Mm. So mm. in our heads, you know, a perpetrator looks a mm. particular way mm. and mm. then we tick a few boxes mm. so it's an evil mm. you know monster that mm. was waiting in the bushes to grab me and rape me violently and so of course we now all condemn him mm. but if the, if the survivor and the perpetrator don't tick certain boxes then we don't believe mm. we don't believe the victim we don't believe people who come forth and say things like um, DJ Fresh raped me for instance we don't believe the we don't believe the survivor. We don't believe the victim, and so when we don't tick those boxes, society doesn't expect any social capital from the perpetrators. So they pretty much still feel as if they can go about their lives as if nothing has happened. So you know, with all of this that you you've picked up on with some of the dialogues that you started um, having last year, I know that you were interrupted by lockdown. Yeah. What's the next? What's the next phase? Well, we're continuing um, with the dialogue series. Um, this time, with the idea is still to to have the dialogue series with um, young people in tertiary education, because that's also another um, growing area of concern as mm. it relates to GBV stats. Mm. Um, I know that the last. Um, crime stats that was re- revealed by the by the minister also indicated that, and so we've got a project for the next two and a half years where we are going to be doing that. We still we are continuing with the evacuation service because that has been we've been inundated. People across the country have been calling us, and we haven't been able to, you know, assist. We've only been able to refer people because. Currently, we're only operating the evacuation service within the Gauteng area. Mm. And so we're continuing with that. We're also continuing with direct support that we provide to women on this, um, living and working on the street during lockdown. We did quite a few, we call them dignity drives or blanket drives. So we provide things like 
sanity um, products. We provide clothes. We provide um, paper spray as a you know a safety aid. We we did blankets. We did pouching. CBD. Um, sorry, we did Pretoria CBD, Johannesburg CBD, Durban CBD, and Cape Town CBD. And so we traveled to those three provinces during lockdown as well. We managed to reach about just over 2,000 women and mm. men as well. Mm. And we provide warm meals. And so those things are, are continuing for us as an organization. Obviously, it would be great if people can come on board and help to, you know, fund and support. Um, yeah, that would be awesome. Yep. Fun fact, we apply to... Um, Solidarity Fund for mm. funding, and mm. we were not successful. <laughs> you were not successful? We were not. Wow, that's so interesting. <laughs> and, and do you know why you weren't successful? Um, no. No. Interesting. No. Interesting fact. L- let me ask you this. You you spoke a little bit about um, the kind of conversations you were having with young people um, around, and I'm particularly interested in this issue of consent. Um, and and how also the law works. One of the things that we keep hearing that's a slight problem is that in as much as you may have a very eloquent victim and witness, if at the other end of the spectrum you don't have competent police uh, who are able to, to, you know, to make sure that they close the gap um, when it comes to the law, if that's not dealt with, you still are going to find cases that are not necessarily going to be um, that that are not going to end in a, in, in in justice yeah. being seen. We, so while we are doing the work with young people, how confident are we that all that we are teaching young people will also, on the other side, be complied by the law, the law, you know, stakeholders in the law from the police and and so on. Yeah, the criminal justice system has massive, massive gaps and holes in it, um, particularly as it comes to victim support, survivor support. And we also have very, very, very low conviction rates hmm. of um, GBV cases. It's very horrendous in terms of the lack of successful prosecutions that we have. And it starts from, you know, from the SAPS official who takes down the statement to the investigation, mm. rape kits not being um, evaluated, you know, there's a backlog. So, and then, you know, just minimum sentencing not being adhered to, et cetera, et cetera. There's no, there's no, uh, the safety of survivors and victims are not being looked at because people are getting bail. And, you know, so if I go and accuse you of rape, you know who I am. Mm. You know, and then you out and bail, and you are able to intimidate me. Um, and so there's just this secondary victimization of the survivor all over, not just by the perpetrator, but also by the system that is meant to to have been put in place to protect them. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a massive problem. And I do think that one of the important things is we are we are beginning to talk more and more and more about the system and the gaps. The end, but we do need to get to a point where we actually start seeing mm. results, and we can't keep having these horrendous GBV stats in our country. Mm. So, I mean, 
I'm just trying to process you saying that you you weren't successful with getting some some funding from the Solidarity Fund. So let me ask you a different question. From where you stand and and the work that you've been doing and what you've observed, how would you like government to respond to gender-based violence? I think, gosh, (laughs) Mm. Um, I think that it needs to, or or let me talk about government, Mm -hmm. although I, I do believe that there's, you know, as a society, there's a lot that we need to do as well. And we need to be able to work with government. Mm. But in terms of providing the support, we have an NSP um, that we, we're currently having a little bit of problems with. And so it's really just about government being serious in terms of what it says it wants to do. So we can't, we can't constantly be happy because our president talks about GBV, um, although that's a, you know, a small step in the right direction. But we also need to start seeing actual results from departments. So, for instance, um, training around SAPS officials, SAPS officials being held accountable. Um, the Tutuzela care centers need to be, you know, beefed up and supported. The shelter system needs to be looked at because there's quite a, quite a lack of support around that particular area. And so, for instance, as an organization, we've been calling for men to be removed from the homes and not for the victims and the survivors, mm. but the perpetrators, mm. because mm. they are they are the ones in the wrong and they should, you know, feel the brunt of, mm. of their actions. Mm. And so, there's, you know, there's quite a lot of things that I think government needs to start doing. Like I've mentioned, the criminal justice system, the um, Zella Care Centers, the shelter movement, you know, there's, there's quite a bit of work that needs to be done. But okay. we also have a responsibility as mm-hmm. You know, look, all I can say is chin up. <laughs> I know you get, all I can say is chin up. And, um, you know, uh, take comfort in knowing that you're not alone. Many, many uh, are like you. And, and that doesn't mean that we don't appreciate the work you're doing, though. Um, thank you so much. And thank you for shining a spotlight. Yeah, um, no, it's I think... Important. I think it's important. I think what you're doing is really, really important. And I think, yes, we're not going to get it, um, you know, our way all the time. But I think your work is really important. And I, I really want to say we appreciate it. I, I have to tell you that we really appreciate it. Can I it. give some contact details? Sure, in case absolutely. People want to obviously contact us absolutely. and contribute. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so they can, you know, we have a website. It's www.sizeupagainstgbv.org. Mm. Um, we're pretty much very, very active on social media. So Twitter, Instagram, Facebook is all rise up against um, either GBV or rise up against gender-based violence. And then they can also call, if they want, on 063-502-7974. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Vanita, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. We'll repeat that line uh, again later on for our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. Vanita Daniels is the Rise Up Against Gender-Based Violence uh, 
uh, co-executive director. And uh, we'll give you that number again. It's 063-502-7974. And if you are a victim of gender-based violence or you know someone who needs help, please contact the National GBV Command Center that operates 24 hours a day and seven days a week. The number to call is 0800-428-428. And if you are unable to speak or just send a please call me by dialing star one two zero star seven eight six seven hash or sms help to three one five three one two thirty let me go to nandika bukas for the latest in headlines